Hi, I'm David Green, and welcome to episode one of season 23 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Today, I'm talking to Whitney Johnson, author and CEO at Disruption Advisors. Her book, Smart Growth, How to Grow Your People to Grow Your Company, is full of advice about how individuals and organizations can realize their potential by charting where they are on Whitney's reimagined version of the S-curve model. There are three major parts. There's a launch point, the sweet spot, and mastery. And what's happening for us is that whenever we start something new, our brains are running a predictive model. We're making predictions of what is it gonna take for me to be successful in this role? in this project, in my career. And at the launch point of that S, we're making many predictions, most of which are inaccurate. And because those predictions are inaccurate, our dopamine, which is the chemical messenger of delight, it drops. And we don't like our dopamine to drop because then we're de-delighted. And no one wants to be de-delighted, do they? Which is why in our conversation, Whitney has thoughts on how individuals and organizations can keep their dopamine levels high by knowing where they are on their own S-curve. She's got insights that speak to all of us, regardless of where we are on our professional journey. Whitney's got examples from companies, big and small, who have helped retain key talent by keeping them learning, developing, and remaining firmly engaged. Whitney's also got advice for recruiters on when and how they can identify people at the right stage of their career path, thoughts on juggling multiple S-curves at the same time, and tips on how to navigate professional development as we continue to build a new world of work post-pandemic. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Whitney Johnson, CEO at Disruption Advisors and author of a fantastic new book, Smart Growth, how to Grow People to Grow Your Company to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Welcome to the show, Whitney. Oh, thank you, David. It's great to have you on the show and uh, looking forward to talking about your work. Can you provide listeners with a brief introduction to you and your work? Well, you've, you've introduced me. I'm the CEO of Disruption Advisors, but the work that we do is we help you grow yourself, to grow your people, to grow your company, to help organizations who are growing very rapidly. And I think coming out of the pandemic, we're going to see continue to see rapid growth is helping make sure that your people can grow as quickly as you need them to. Great. Well, that's that's something that's definitely going to appeal to our listeners. I know mainly, mainly HR professionals who you know, a lot of them get into the profession to do exactly that, to help their organisations grow their people. And before we get into your current work in more detail, it'd be great to, to hear a little bit more about your career history and how you got into the world of talent development and leadership in the, in the first place. Very circuitously, David. Isn't that always the way? <laughs> yes, I think it is. Um, my background actually is I studied music in college. And I um, when I graduated from college, I had gone to New York with my husband. He was getting his PhD at Columbia and we needed food on the table. And so I was the designated breadwinner. And so I started actually working as a sales assistant to a retail stockbroker, um, 13 45 Avenue of the Americas at Smith Barney in Manhattan. And I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, but I knew I needed to put food on the table. But something really curious happened, which is every day as I would go to work, 
there was this bullpen of young stockbrokers um, sitting right across from me that were trying to get people to open up accounts. This is when you would dial and get people to open up, uh, up the, a brokerage account. And they would say things like, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know this is a great investment. And then they would say, throw down your pom-poms and get in the game. And initially I'm very offended because I was a cheerleader in high school. But eventually I thought, I need to throw down my pom-poms. And so I started taking business courses at night, accounting, finance, economics, had a boss who believed in me, which is talking to HR leaders, we need bosses that believe in us. They gave me the opportunity to move from being a secretary to an investment banker. And so I did investment banking for a few years. Then I had a boss who was laid off. Um, they moved me, but really shoved me into equity research, which turned out to be a career maker. And I think that's another important lesson is sometimes those huge setbacks or the setups to have our career take off. And as an equity analyst, um, I was institutional investor ranked, but discovered that I was more interested in the momentum of people than I was of stocks. We had a training that we did. This is 2003, 2004. And our boss or had me do some of the training. American Idol at the time was at its apex. Tom Peters had written the book or the, the article, A Brand Called You. And I did this whole training about, you know, as an analyst, if you were a contestant on American Idol, if you were a brand, what would you be? So would you be, you know, the forensic analyst? Would you be the stock picker? What would it be? And so I spent all this time on this training that I wasn't really getting paid to do. And I thought, I care about the momentum. And, and at one point someone said, oh yeah, you're, you're focused on, picking not only stocks, but um, people and investing in their dreams. And so that was the beginning of it. Um, still took a number of years. I, I left Wall Street. I started a fund with Clayton Christensen at the Harvard Business School, where we were investing in disruptive innovation. But then around 2012, I wrote an article called Disrupt Yourself. And I had thought to myself, disruption. We're applying it to products and services and companies and countries, this silly little thing that takes over the world. Not too much of a stretch now for me to say, well, could disruption also apply to people? And so that's when I wrote this article of, I think if you want to disrupt as an organization, you need to help your people disrupt. And so fast forward to today, we were also using the S curve for investing to figure out how innovations were going to be adopted or how quickly they would be adopted. And now you understand the pattern. I said to myself, the S curve, I think it can also apply to people. And so today we take this work and we have this tool that people can use to look at where are they in their growth? Where are their people in their growth? Where is the organization in their growth? And we wrap coaching and workshops around that. But that's, that's the evolution from the stocks and the investing to the people. Wow, that's a great story. And as you said, we end up in our in our careers, you know, and it's not always chosen to do it. You just, you know, you find out what you love, what you're passionate about, what you're good at, and and you know, and and, and we go from there. And you've set up the the S curve conversation perfectly because that's where I'm gonna where I'm gonna go to next, Whitney. So we're gonna spend most of the time today exploring the concepts mm -hmm. of the S curve as a career management tool. First of all, it'd be great if you can explain for listeners um, what is the S curve of learning. Well, some of you are going to be familiar with it because it's been used for product development and, and been around for, for decades. It was originally popularized by the sociologist Everett Rogers. And as I said a moment ago, it was used to look at how an innovation would be adopted. And what he found is that they were adopted along the shape of an S. 
And so he was looking at how quickly corn, a hybrid corn would be adopted. And he found that over the first three years, um, it took actually, excuse me, it took five years for 10% of the farmers in the state of Iowa and the United States to adopt um, this new type of corn. Um, but then after five years, the next three years, the penetration went from 10% to 40%. So he said, this is a model, this S helps us understand how groups change over time. Well, the S curve of learning, this was the aha that I had as we were using it in investing. I thought, I think that this S curve can help us understand how individuals change. We can use this to think about what growth looks like, what development looks like. And so at a very high level, I reimagined this S curve for individuals. And let me just walk through it very quickly. There are three major parts. There's a launch point, the sweet spot, and mastery. And what's happening for us is that whenever we start something new, our brains are running a predictive model. We're making predictions of what is it going to take for me to be successful in this role, in this project, in my career. And at the launch point of that S, we're making many predictions, most of which are inaccurate. And because those predictions are inaccurate, our dopamine, which is the chemical messenger of delight, it drops. And we don't like our dopamine to drop because then we're de-delighted. The other thing that's happening at the launch point is we're mapping new territory. It's a place we've never been. So it's cognitively, it's emotionally taxing. So we have this experience of it's thrilling, but it's also terrifying. It's also this sense of um, I'm overwhelmed and I'm discouraged and I'm impatient. And how come I'm not getting better faster? And your identity is shifting because you're no longer who you were, but you're not yet who you will be. And so that's the launch point and the experience that people are having. It's not that growth isn't happening, but it feels slow. So that's the launch point. Then mass, uh, sweet spot, and I'll go through sweet spot mastery more quickly. So sweet spot, you're making predictions. They're increasingly accurate. And as they're increasingly accurate, your dopamine starts to spike. So you're having these emotional upside surprises that are saying, this works. Yes, this works. This works. And so it's exhilarating. You feel like you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Growth not only is fast, it feels fast. And then in mastery, again, thinking about a role, you're at the top of that mountain you know exactly what you're doing. You figured it all out. You're very good at it. You're an expert. You feel like you can no longer keep doing it though, because there's not much dopamine. And so you look around and you say, yeah, I've seen everything there is to see. My growth is slow. And so you've got slow and then fast and then slow as a model for how you grow. So now you can remember it. And once you understand you have this map in your mind, it increases your capacity to grow and you can use it to start a conversation with your people about how to develop them, how to grow them. Perfect. And I, I can immediately see how it can be applied to, to, to so many things. If you think about even your tenure with a company, you know, once you reach that level of mastery and there's nowhere else to learn, then maybe that's where people start to move on. But maybe we could talk a bit about that later. So why don't we start by by digging into this in, in a bit more detail from the perspective mm -hmm. of, of employees. How should individuals think about S-curves in relation to their, their jobs and their careers? You might have already thought about this, but if you think about it, your life is an S-curve, your career is an S-curve, and you can um, I hope that as as you're listening, you can be in your mind thinking, oh yeah, that job was an S curve. And then within that job, I had two S curves and the next 
you know, jaw was an S curve. And so the way that you can think about it, um, in your career is say to yourself, all right, well, I'm in this job right now. Where am I on the S curve? And if I'm at the launch point of the S curve, then I know that I probably need a lot of support because it's feeling uncomfortable because I'm doing this awkward new thing. And so what is support going to look like? Well, I probably need to get some training. Um, it also allows me to have a conversation with my colleagues and with my boss and say, hey, this is feeling really uncomfortable right now. I think I'm going to be good at this, but right now I feel awkward and I'm sometimes feeling a little bit impatient. So can you just help me have that support that I need in order to gain that momentum off the launch point of the curve? For someone in the sweet spot, those are the times where people ask you how work's going and you're like, it's going great. And you don't have anything else to say because you just feel exhilarated and you're enjoying, enjoying the work that you're doing. The challenge for you in the sweet spot is you want to make sure you're staying focused because you're becoming increasingly competent. People are saying, David, can you take on this project? Hey, David, how about that project? How about that project? And before you know it, you've got 10 new projects and you derail because you're not staying focused on two or three projects. And then the thing that you can think about in mastery is that idea, and you just actually said this already, David, is this notion of, I am really good at what I'm doing. And why is it that I feel like I can no longer keep doing it? Because I actually like this company and I like my boss. Well, the S curve helps you understand that you just need more dopamine. You're not learning. And in fact, if you think about it, the entire S curve is a dopamine management exercise. Cause you know, at the launch point, you got to get more dopamine cause it's dropping in the sweet spot. You just got a lot and it's super fun. And in master, you know, oh, I need some more. So I've got to find a way to give myself a new challenge so that they, I can go after and get more dopamine. And then I can basically in my career use this to understand where I am. And once you orient, then you're going to be able to figure out what's next. And of course, you know, the level of support and type of support you need from your boss, from your colleagues is different at each stage, isn't it? As you said, at that early stage, yeah. at the launch stage, you know, help with a mentor, you know, identifying the right mentor, for example, that can help get speed that momentum along at that sweet spot. You know, maybe if you're being inundated with a request because you're a, an expert, maybe you want to be part of your job, you know, training others so they can help you with that workload, perhaps. I don't know, I'm just mm-hmm. saying. And then mastery is a, it's about, you know, your boss in particular identifying that and thinking, I, I need to give Whitney new challenges, otherwise I'm in risk of losing Whitney. You know, or right. Right. you know, and let's celebrate it. Sometimes I need to, you know, need to accept the fact that Whitney's going to move on. It's and it's great, and she might come back one day. You know, so so there's That's lots right. of different support that you need there. Really interesting. And obviously, you're working with with organisations and and individuals, presumably most of your time. You know, have you seen any impact from the pandemic on on how employees should think about S curves and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I know you've written something recently on it. What are your thoughts on the great resignation and how some people's priorities have have shifted in relation to how they're thinking about jobs and work? It's interesting, isn't it? Because prior to the pandemic, we were all on an S-curve. We might have loved it. We might have hated it, but we were on an S-curve. And one of the things that the pandemic did is it pushed us off that curve. And so now we found ourselves at the launch point as a globe. And that was one of the reasons, there are many reasons, but one of the reasons it was, we were all so tired all of the time is that we were all at the launch point and all trying to figure it out. And there wasn't really anyone in mastery to kind of mentor us along because we were figuring that out. 
But as a consequence of us being at this launch point, whether it was figuring out how to do remote work, whether it was trying to figure out how to homeschool your children, whether it was trying to figure out how to keep people safe from COVID, we developed a lot of new skills. We discovered that we were more resilient than we thought we were. And so as we come out of the pandemic, um, we, as we went through that period, we've had this opportunity also to reflect and to think about what do I want with my life? What are my priorities? What matters to me? And so coming out now, uh, psychologists have said that a period of severe stress like a pandemic is often followed by a period of tremendous growth. And so people are coming back to work, however that looks like, well, coming back to work is not accurate. People are now post-pandemic or at least pre-post-pandemic saying, I can't go back to doing what I was doing. I am different than I was. And so if a company understands that, then they'll understand that people are not looking to resign. We're not quitting. We're more resilient than we thought we were. What we're looking to do is we're aspiring to more. And so if we can reframe this in our mind as an employer and say, my people aren't resigning, what they're, they're not quitting. They're saying, I want more. I aspire to more. For me, if we were, were to reframe this as the great aspiration, that would help us not only in recruiting, but also in retention of understanding people want to grow. They're ready to grow. They've learned a thing or two about growth. So how am I as an employer going to help make that possible? A much more positive way of looking at it. I mean, I, I think you, I, I saw something you wrote. I think you said the great resignation is a bit of a misnomer. I think that was that's how, right. you, how you that's, described that, it, isn't that's it? That's correct. You know, and, and I, as, as one of our previous guests um, said, I'm not sure what's great about the great resignation anyway, if it, even if it was as accurate as... Yeah, well said. Well said. I love that. <laughs> so what does all this mean for managers and organisations? You know, how should companies be thinking about S-curves when planning development for their employees and particularly, you know, given what you've just said about the, you know, the impact of the pandemic. Yeah. So one example. So if you're thinking about this as a manager, you think to yourself, okay, well, I want people who are going to grow and develop. And so I want people who are capable. If For me, peak performance is not just in the sweet spot. It's the ability to navigate an entire growth cycle. So they can navigate the uncertainty of the launch point. They can move through the sweet spot. They can get into mastery and, and bring other people along, but then jump to a brand new curve. And so you want people who are capable of that kind of growth, but then that means that they're going to get to a top of a curve. Now what? Well, Patrick Bichette, he was an employee at Google. He was about to be hired by Google. And when he first um, interviewed for the job, he had been in operations two times previously. And so Eric Schmidt, who was then the CEO, said to him, well, we've got a problem, Patrick, because basically what's going to happen is in a year, year and a half, you're going to figure out our ecosystem and how to navigate and how to get stuff done. And you're going to be bored. And you're going to want to do something new. And I don't really want to lose you after 18 months. So here's what I need you to do. When you start to feel like you're bored, when you feel like you're at the top of an S-curve, that's my language, not his, you are there. I want you to come to me and tell me, hey, I need something new. And so every 18 months or so, Patrick Pichette had that conversation with Eric Schmidt. And so he started out as just a CFO, but over time he added people he added some operations. He added Google Fiber. He added real estate. He added their nonprofit. 
which allowed him to have that curve of being the CFO, but all these other curves within the curve. And so he was able to stay in role at Google for seven years before he jumped to a new curve and became a philanthropist and then started a venture firm out of London. But that's how you can have that conversation is say, okay, let's draw out this S curve. Where are you right now? Where do I think you are? When you get to the top, let's have a conversation. Or when you're approaching the top, let's have a conversation. And then you're able to develop your people and retain them, or as you said, amicably have them to depart because you're both very clear about where they are in your growth. And when you think about growth, if you think that I'm in the sweet spot, that is not going to predict my behavior. What's going to predict my behavior is where I think I am. And so if I think I'm in mastery, that's going to predict my behavior. It's a good thing for you to know, because then if you if you don't want to keep me, well, that's good because then I'll leave. But if you do want to keep me, now we can have that conversation about what are we going to do to challenge you so that you can continue to be engaged. When we come back in just a moment, Whitney delves into the practicalities of having more than one S-curve on the go at any one time and how good leaders can help their teams, metaphorically, climb mountains. Support for this podcast is brought to you by Vizia. The well-being of employees and of business are intertwined. Keeping tabs on both means empowering people leaders with critical insights for the benefit of all. Vizia provides the insights you need to see your people and your business clearly. Vizia has 15,000 customers in 75 countries around the world, including enterprises like Adobe, BASF, Bridgestone, Electronic Arts, McKesson, Merck, Uber, and more. Learn more at vizier.com. That's V-I-S-I-E-R.com. Welcome back to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast and my conversation with Whitney Johnson. And as you said, particularly with the thinking about really key talent within organisations, is it, as you said, with the example with Patrick, he's got one main S-curve that he's on, but there's a series of smaller S-curves. So he might be a master, you know, I was using Patrick's example, it might be a master at the main one that he's that, he, that he's kind of doing, but there might be two others where he's at, either at launch or at the sweet spot, perhaps. is Can you do that? Yeah. Or, does, or does that then become yeah, a bit, yeah. bit confusing? Oh, oh no, you, you raise a really good point. So I'm, I'm glad that you asked that question. So if you think about your career um, or, or any given role, usually it's a portfolio of S-curves. And so you can have two or three, maybe four at any given time. And if you, um, so you can have different projects, but also, um, and you don't want to be on, you know, the launch point on four different projects. Preferably you want to be, when you look at optimizing your portfolio of S-curves, 60% of your S-curves in the sweet spot. So two where you feel like, yeah, I've got this, I'm nailing it. You've got one where you're in mastery, and then you've got one where you're at the launch point. Now, when you think about your role, and I think you you reminded me of this, so I want to raise this. When you have a person who's brand new and you're saying, okay, you're a, I, I want you to think about 
where are you on this S curve in relation to everything that is required of you in this role? Meaning someone can come and say, well, I'm a domain expert. And you're like, okay, great. But is that everything that's required of you in this role? If you're just an individual contributor, maybe, but if you're a manager, what's required of you is not only that you are capable of making it up the mountain to the top, it means that you are capable of making sure everybody on your team is capable of making it up to the mountain. Because what you don't want to say is, hey, I made it up, but Ted, yeah, he's dead back down at the bottom of the mountain. And so you as a manager, um, if you're moving up that curve, maybe part of your job is to create the weather patterns where other people can move along that curve as well. So you really want to think about this holistically is not just as a subject matter expert, but what's everything that's required of you to be successful in this role, including possibly the weather patterns and creating the ecosystem where others can be successful. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Great example there of Patrick and, and Eric Schmidt in terms of how Eric was proactively saying to Patrick, you know, when you start to feel bored, come and, t- come and see me and we'll, we'll, we'll work out what the next X curve is for you. But it typically career conversations, you know, ha- ha- how does the S curve help managers with those career conversations that they should be having with mm-hmm. their team on a, on a regular basis. And do you think this is a framework that can help companies build a culture of internal mobility within, within the organization and continuous learning? Yeah. Let me actually give you a specific example to, to talk about this. One of the companies that we work with, it's, it's chat books and they, um, they turn Instagram photos into books. So hard physical copy books. It's a great company. People like to work there. Um, and so people stay for extended periods of time. And so, um, earlier this year, the CEO called me in and said, Hey, we need you to come in and work with our team a bit more. So they all took the S curve assessment. What they found is most of their senior leaders were in fact in mastery. So now what do you do? Well, there were three different conversations that took place and they were very different conversations. So the first conversation, this is something you kind of hit on earlier, looks like this. The chief marketing officer said, oh, now I understand. It's not that I don't like working here. It's not that I don't like working for you as my boss. It's just that I'm at the top of my curve and there's nothing else for me to do here. I've done everything that I set out to do and that I think you wanted me to do. And that allowed her to have a conversation with her manager, who's the the CEO and say, I need to go to a new curve and I need to go to a new company. Because though it wasn't personal, her departure was amicable. Everybody felt good about it. She was able to plan for her departure, prepare someone else to move up that curve. And that set the stage for potentially a boomerang, like you referred to earlier, because they had this very simple visual model. And that's part of what makes it useful is because it is so simple to talk about her growth. So that was conversation number one. Conversation number two that took place was had a president. He'd only been in the role for about a year and he was presenting in mastery. What's going on? Well, turns out that the CEO who had delegated to him to be the president delegated some of his roles. CEO was still doing some of the president's job. He was still on his S curve. And so for the president, he's like, well, I'm supposed to have the top of the mountain be 10,000 feet, but right now it looks like 5,000 feet because you're, I don't got enough. I don't have enough to do. So that led to a conversation about roles and responsibilities saying to the CEO, oh yeah, 
I'm kind of in your way, aren't I? I guess I better really actually jump to my new curve. And it wasn't on purpose. It's just sort of habit that created headroom so that the mountain really was 10,000 feet for the president. And so he could then present in the sweet spot, which is where he should have been having been in that role for a year. Third conversation that took place, CTO. He's having the experience of, I'm at the top of my curve. I want to stay here. I've hired someone to be the dev manager, but now I'm doing some new stuff and I'm at the launch point. And this is really uncomfortable because everybody says he's the CTO. He should know what he's doing. It gave him permission and a language to say to all of his colleagues, I'm at the launch point. And guess what happens when you're at the launch point? You're experimenting, you're awkward, uncomfortable, and this is normal. And so it gave him permission to be in that place of discomfort and a way to describe it to his team. And then by definition, giving them permission to be uncomfortable as well. So that's how you can use it. This simple language, the simple language of growth allows you as a manager, you as a person who's reporting into your manager to have a conversation with very different outcomes, but it starts with that, that simple little S. And it almost provides that, you know, as you said, if they hadn't done that assessment in, in the way you've explained it, they wouldn't have known any of this, but this, this gave them some clarity and a, and a means to drive the conversation for the, the right outcome for, for the individual and for the organization as well. Yeah, very yes. interesting. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you are looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the My HR Future Academy. It is a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you will see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gap deepen your knowledge and press play on your career. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Whitney Johnson. In this section, we turn our thoughts to what Whitney's advice means for recruiters. You know, and what about something like recruitment you know um you know is there an optimum way to think about how you can build a team for example based on where you know various members of the team are on the s-curve yes there is so um there's a two-part answer to that so we've been talking about the individual um if you think about a team and we talk about this idea of diversity of where people are in their growth um you can optimize your team for growth by thinking about a standard bell curve distribution. And so if you say to yourself, okay, I probably need at least 60% of my people at any given time in the sweet spot, because these are people who are capable of asking, why do we do it like this? Or opening the door to innovation, but they're also capable of answering that question because they've got enough skills in terms of not only domain expertise, but also knowing how to get stuff done within the organization. I, I need at least 
or no more than 20% of my people in mastery. Cause these are the people who have the institutional memory. They know why we're doing it like this. Um, but I also know that because they are in mastery, I'm going to need to continue to challenge them. And it might be a new curve. So I don't want too many people in mastery, but they can ask the this is why we do it like this. And then I don't want more than 20% of my people to launch point because on the one hand, they're able to say, yeah, I don't understand why you're doing it like this because they've got that fresh perspective. They're not blind through familiarity, but also when you're at the launch point, it's a big lift. You need training, you need support, you need encouragement. And so as a starting point, as you're thinking about configuring your, your team or your organization for growth, you can use that 20, 60, 20. Now, if you're a startup versus a, you know, a 10,000 person company, it's going to be different or depending on what you're trying to do, it could be different, but you can use that mental model as a starting point. Now, to your question about recruiting, here's one way that you can use it. So there's a, a, a basketball team in the United States, the Philadelphia Sixers, they're in the NBA. And um, the former president of that team, his name is Scott O'Neill or CEO of that team. And he needed a person to run guest services. He also wanted a person who could grow. So he looked around the industry and he found a woman by the name of Brittany Boyd. And Brittany, he said, hmm, she looks like she is almost to the top of her S-curve in guest services. She'd done it two times at another guest services inside of an arena. She looks like she's almost at the top, if not at the top. I need a person in guest services, but I know that if I hire her to do guest services or if I offer that to her, she's probably going to say no because she wants to grow. So he goes to her and he says, Brittany, how about if you come over to the Sixers, to the, the Prudential Arena, I will hire you. And I do need to hire you in at the top of the curve as guest services. But my commitment to you is that in short order, I will give you an opportunity. You get us started. I'll give you an opportunity to jump to a new curve in business operations because I think you can be a superstar there. So that was the promise he made and he kept it. So she comes to the Sixers. She starts out in guest services. Within a short time, she moves to business operations. She moves up the curve in business operations. And then even truer to his word, he promoted her to be the chief marketing officer. Now, some people said, what does she know about being a chief marketing officer? And his response was, it doesn't matter because she knows how to do two things. Number one, she knows how to grow. And number two, she knows how to hire a great team. And by knowing how to do those two things, she can put together a team that allows her to not only grow, but allows people to grow and therefore grow the organization. So that's how you can use it in recruiting is, I know you're here. I'll give you an opportunity if you'll come in here to be here and you can grow with our organization. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot makes a lot of sense. And and actually interesting question because you talked about, you know, when you outlined the team, you know, the 20-60-20 kind of mm-hmm. mix and you you said the difference between a startup versus a, a you know, bigger company or, or or something like that. You know, what are the reasons for that? Is it is it that disruptors for example, which you might want more in a startup tend to sit I don't know at the at the start of that process or or at the end or or I'd love to. Hear oh that. yeah, yeah. Um. So for example, if you've got a really large company, you have um you've got scale, and so you've got an infrastructure that can bring in a lot of people and put them into rotation programs and and do development and training at scale in a way that you can't do at a startup. 
Whereas at a startup, let's say you've got an idea, something you've got to get done and you're expert in that one idea. But if you've got five people, you may, you, you can't necessarily have anyone at the launch point because you yourself as a founder are at the launch point. And so what you want to do in those instances is because you, the founder at the launch point, looking for those fresh perspectives, you're probably going to synthetically create that curve of bringing in a consultant for three months that can help you get started in one marketing, for example, or who can help you think about um, accounting and finance, for example. So you might have a few people who are in the in mastery who aren't even actually full-time employees, but are helping you personally get up that curve. So that's how you think about it is depending on what you're trying to get done on a specific project or the size of your organization, you're going to configure differently. You've obviously shared some examples from chat books and the, uh, the Sixers. It's the Sixers, isn't it? Sixers, Philadelphia the Sixers. Sixers. Yes, it is the Showing Sixers, my yeah, British yeah. roots here. Um, I do I do well, like a lot well, of American sport, but I, I don't know the Sixers, I must admit. Apologies to those in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, and obviously <laughs> the example around um, Patrick and Eric at, at Google. Are there any other examples that you can share with listeners on, on how companies have, have used the S-curve framework? Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have, I have one more that I can share. Um, and this is in India. So um, a fellow by the name of Sumit Shetty, he um, is a mid-level manager at SAP in India. And what he does is he, when he hires someone into his team, he says, okay, well, Let's look at where you are on the S-curve. Are you at the launch point? Are you in the sweet spot? Are you in, in mastery? He also looks at the configuration of his team. And then he says, all right, well, if I can make sure that everybody's building momentum along that curve, regardless of where they are, the other pieces are going to fit into place. And so he'll have the conversation, where are you? And then he'll put in place a development plan. On the technical side, he'll have them read something technical because he actually also runs the largest corporate book club in India. So he's big into reading. And then he'll have them read something around on the development side. Like, I think you could be, you know, very, um, very entrepreneurial. And so we had him read Adam Grant's originals. And so he, he uses that S curve as a starting point language to help people orient themselves of where they are in their growth and then gives them tools that they need to build momentum along that curve curve, again, regardless of where they are. He also sometimes says, hey, one example is a person who was a technical expert. And he said, I actually think they'd be really good at managing people. And so he said, have you ever thought about doing that? And so he brokered an opportunity for this person to move to a curve of managing people. Um, and that person came back and said, I had no idea I would be good at it. Turns out that person is. And so Again, using that to help people have this mental model or map to navigate the growth and change in their career. And in this specific instance, orienting the people on his team on what their development plan looks like. Right. Yeah. So really, really powerful examples. Thanks for sharing those with with, with listeners throughout mm -hmm. our conversation so far. So what do you believe to be the, the two to three things that the HR will need to do to really add business value as we hopefully come out of the of the pandemic in the coming months and, and year you know david it's a great question and and i think one of the gifts of the pandemic i would say is that hr has had a seat at the table in a way that it hadn't previously and it's not that it couldn't have the seat but you've probably had lena nyer on your podcast at some point I had her on the podcast as well. And you probably remember her saying something like, stop thinking you don't have a seat at the table. 
you do have a seat at the table, but you have to take your seat at the table. And I think one of the gifts of the pandemic is that HR leaders realized, oh, they need me. I am, I am the emotional first responder inside this company. I better step up. I have to figure out how to keep people safe physically. I have to figure out how to keep people safe emotionally and mentally. I have to figure out how we're going to orchestrate the work. And so I think coming out of the pandemic, obviously one of the big challenges is figuring out this whole hybrid remote work thing. It's a huge opportunity and a huge Tetris challenge. But to me, the biggest piece of it is now that you've experienced having a seat at the table, take that initiative, be that partner. I also interviewed, and, and you probably have had him on as well, is, is Johnny C. Taylor from the um, SHRM. And he formerly was head of HR, and now he's the CEO of SHRM. And what he said is, be a partner, show up, take that initiative, and make yourself useful and thinking through, Hey, I know you're trying to get this stuff done on the business. Let me talk to you about how our people strategy in order to get that stuff done, which goes back to what I said earlier, we're trying to go our business, but we all know, and let me say one more thing on this, cause I think this is important in order to grow our business. We have to grow ourselves and grow our people. And I'm going to give you this statistic. Cause I think this is so powerful for any HR leader to convey to any CEO they are working with anywhere. Agon Zender did a study. They asked the, the CEOs, a thousand CEOs, do you strongly agree that you need to transform yourself as well as your organization prior to the pandemic? 26% strongly agreed post pandemic. 80% strongly agreed. And so what that means now it's people, people, people as an HR leader, if you can help your CEO transform, that's going to create a space for your people to transform. And if you, your people transform, your organization will transform. Okay. Am I pounding the table hard enough, David? No, you are. And it's great. You know, I mean, it's, it's a huge opportunity for HR as a, as a profession and CHROs as leaders within the business to, to grasp, isn't it? And mm -hmm. um, it can't be any coincidence that Lena, who was obviously advocating this long ago, is, is now the CEO at Chanel. She's, she's moved from CHRO to CEO. So yeah, very interesting indeed. Whitney, loved hearing from you and loved hearing that passion at the end as well. It's always good to, good to get some passion out on, on the podcast. Thanks for being a guest on, on the Digital HR Leaders podcast. How can listeners stay in touch with you uh, follow you on social media, listen to your your podcast by the sounds of it, and find out more about your work. Well, I think there are two easiest ways, or I'll say three. So number one is you can listen to the podcast. It's the Disrupt Yourself podcast. And maybe you link to that episode, my episode with Lena and your episode with Lena. That would be kind of fun to do the parallel play of those episodes. Um, that's probably the easiest way. Um, and then if you want to connect with me, I'm on LinkedIn. And if you want to email me and tell me something you learned today, I'm at wj at whitneyjohnson.com. Well, Whitney, it's been wonderful speaking to you. Thanks very much for sharing your uh, expertise and time with our listeners. And uh, yeah, look forward to uh, hearing about listeners' S-curves uh, uh, in the coming months. Thank you, David. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you again to my guest, Whitney Johnson. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show with five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. For more from us at Insight222, 
Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and you can sign up for our weekly newsletter by going to myhrfuture.com. We'll be back next week for episode two of series 23. Well, I'll be talking to Jordan Petman from the London Stock Exchange Group and Tersha Wiedenhoff from Rabobank in a special live episode of the podcast that we recorded together at People Analytics World in London. So you won't want to miss that one. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and take care.